Good morning and welcome to all our guests, visitors, and radio listeners today. The roses on the altar today are in honor of three couples. And uh, so let's just go through these and we'll hold our applause till the end. Lee and Diane Catahenry are celebrating 56 years of marriage today. Jerry and Judy Holsher will celebrate 50 years of marriage, 53 years of marriage on March 4th. And Dennis and Joan Henschen will celebrate 55 years on March 5th. So congratulations. And we'd also like to wish a happy leap year birthday to Grace Rediger, who finally turned 20 this year. <laughs> the Grand Adults Fellowship resumes this Tuesday at 2 p.m. in the Ministry Center or in the Ministry Youth Center room. And as everybody knows, this week is the start of Wonderful Wednesdays. Dinner begins at 5:45. And you can find more information in the back of the bulletin or on the church's website. Would you please rise and join me as we do the call of worship taken from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, you and I with I say of the holy people who are in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my God. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart is trusting. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests here, because you will not abandon me to the realm of death, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy and Now let us join the pray in the praise song Christ alone.
for children's chat, take this time to greet your neighbor. I think maybe we're still sleeping. Let's try this again. Good morning. Good morning. Well, that's a little better. All right. I need you to stand up. Okay. How many of you have ever played Simon Says before? All right. Good. So if I say Simon Says, then you do what I tell you to do. But if I don't say Simon Says, then don't do it. Okay? Are we ready? If you do do it, you have to sit down. And you're out. Okay? All right. Simon Says, raise your hand. Simon says, raise your other hand. Put them down. Oh, Simon didn't say. That's okay. You can still play. You can stand up. All right, let's try another one. Simon says, put your hands down. There we go. Simon says, flap your elbows like a duck. (coughs) Simon says, clap your hands two times. Okay, touch your nose. Oh. (laughs) All right, have a seat. All right, so on Wednesday, we celebrated Ash Wednesday, and that is the beginning of what? Lent. And Lent leads up to Easter, right? Well, our scripture that we've been reading, the book of the Gospel of John, it talks about Jesus being tempted. Does anybody know what does it mean to be tempted? Jojo? Okay, somebody that might make you do something bad. Okay, just like when we were playing Simon Says, and if I didn't say Simon, and you put your hands down, you were tempted to put your hands down, but you didn't because Simon didn't say. Well, Jesus was tempted by Satan or the devil. Does he ever tempt you? Sometimes I bet he might. Okay? In the game of Simon Says, it says that we do what Simon tells us to do. But in real life, we want to do what the Bible tells us to do. And the devil is going to try to trick you into doing the wrong thing. To do what he wants you to do. Okay, the Bible says that you should love your enemies, right? The Bible says to love everyone, but when someone does something to hurt you, the devil says, hey, that really hurt. Just kick him back. Nobody's looking. Is that what you should do? No, but you're being tempted because it really hurt. And maybe they kicked you yesterday at recess too, and you're just getting tired of it. But... We're tempted, okay? The enemy tempts us, okay? Here's another thought. The Bible tells us you shall not lie, but you accidentally break something at home, and mom asks you if you broke it. You're tempted. You're tempted to say, nope, wasn't me. It was him, right? But is that the right thing to do? No, we need to do what the Bible tells us to do, don't we? We need to do what we know is right. Okay? The devil even tempted Jesus to do the wrong things when Jesus spent 40 days in the desert. Okay? Do you know what Jesus did? 
He didn't listen. You're right. You know what Jesus did instead? He told the, the devil scripture verses. He told them uh, words from the Bible. He's like quoted scripture back to him. So when, when you're tempted to do something that you know is wrong, you can just say, nope, God doesn't want me to do that. Nope, I'm not allowed. The Bible tells me I'm not allowed to do that. Okay, so we need to watch when we're tempted and remember to do what the Bible tells us to do, not what Satan is telling us to do. Okay, so the next time you think about that, think about playing Simon Says and how you're tempted to do it, but you know you need to do what's right. Okay, now we're going to say a short prayer. And when that short prayer is over, the little people that are singing, okay, are going to stay here. And if you're in my class, you're going to go back to your seat, okay, because we sing next week, okay? All right, let's pray quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him coming to earth and teaching us right from wrong. Be with us this week. Help us to go out and be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay.
lost in our service in the last week in North Carolina, Private First Class Joseph Del Herrero, 26, from Miami, Florida. In California, Quartermaster Second Class Thomas Ryan O'Connor, 25, from Florida. In Florida, Aviation Machinist Mate Airman Apprentice Patrick Glenn Stellatano, 21, from Walkersville, Maryland. And in California, Sergeant Carlos M. Mota, 26, from Paulding, Georgia. Thank you, Jay. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord together this morning in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much that we can come before you and worship you with song and with word and with a, a fellowship and this Christ-like love we can share with one another. Lord, thank you for children who, who sing your praises and encourage us to love each other as you loved us. Um, Lord, what a joy it is to see, see children participating in worship like that and, and leading us to praise you. And we thank you for, for the class that sang this morning and look forward to this class that sings again next week. Um, Lord, help us all, young and old, to worship you together this morning. Help with the, heart, the, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind, Lord, to be focused on you. Lord, in this morning, in this day, help us to set aside distractions. Lord, uh, the things that, that are keeping our, our hearts and our minds away from you, Lord, help us to set those things aside and focus on you. Because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. And you are certainly worthy of our allegiance and our adoration and our obedience. And so we come to you this morning and offer you that, Lord, as a sacrifice of praise this day. Lord, we come to you as well, knowing full well um, that you are able to meet us in our time of need. Lord, for those that are struggling this morning, we, uh, we ask for your help to be with them. We know from Scripture that you hear us as we cry out to you, as we lift up our prayers to you, you hear and you respond. And so, Lord, help us to, to lay those burdens at your feet if we are struggling with something, we I ask, Lord, that you would, you would give us the, the courage and the faith to come before you and, and seek your help and seek your wisdom. And, Lord, in your goodness and in your grace, we ask that you would give it. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's, I invite you, if you're able, to stand and sing with us number 345, Blessed Assurance.
may be seated. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us, Lord. And as we take this time in our offering to continue to worship you through our giving, we ask that you bless the, the gifts that we are about to give. And may you, Lord, be honored uh, with the use of it. May your kingdom be advanced as a result of these gifts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's this time for those that are helping with the offering to come forward.
scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You may be seated. Father God, I thank you for this time once again to open your word together. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this church body that you have, you have brought together for this purpose. And I pray that, we would, uh, that your spirit would guide us, that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. Uh, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today is our first Sunday in Lent, uh, but if you're with us on Ash Wednesday, we actually began our journey through the Gospel of Mark that evening, looking at the opening verses of Mark's Gospel. And today we're going to continue that with a story that you just heard read uh, for you this morning. Before we jump into the passage, though, I just want to remind you of that reading plan. As we go through Lent, we're going to be looking at different stories from the Gospel of Mark, uh, eventually leading up, of course, to Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, but uh, we created a reading plan for you to follow along during the week as well. So over the next six weeks with six sermons, we're not going to be able to cover the entirety of the gospel, but you can read along with us. And each week the sermons will come from a passage that you read this previous week. Um, Connie created these wonderful uh, laminated um, uh, reading plans that you can serve as a bookmark in your Bible or, or hung up somewhere on a fridge or something like that. And last week we ran out of them, so we made more. There are more back at the Info Center. If you wanted one of these and didn't get a chance to get one, there are more available. So uh, feel free to stop over there after the service today and pick one up. Um, and if you didn't get one, they're not too, you're not too far behind. We've, we're just in the middle of Mark chapter 2 uh, as, of Friday after, as of Friday's reading. So plenty of time to catch up and read along in the Gospel of Mark with us. Uh, Today's passage, though, focuses in on those verses that Amy just read for you. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. I encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, or uh, to follow along. If you uh, don't have one of your, you can use one of the pew Bibles or follow along on your phone. Uh, We're going to be kind of taking a look at this passage uh, from beginning to end and and seeing what God has in store for us this morning uh, from there. So beginning in verse 21, we see that Jesus, it says actually, they went to Capernaum. Uh, Jesus and, and the first disciples he called. In just the previous verses, we see Jesus calling uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John to follow him. These are the first disciples he calls. And so uh, immediately after his, his baptism and his attesting, he begins to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And he begins to call those first disciples. And it's that small group that then goes into this town of Capernaum, which really ended up kind of becoming Jesus' home base for his ministry. Throughout the gospel, Jesus will will return here and you'll hear different uh, healings and different miracles that happen in this place and teachings that take place here. Capernaum kind of becomes, in a sense, his home base for his ministry. It was likely Peter's hometown because in the following verses we'll see that that, uh, Jesus heals his mother-in-law of a fever. Uh, and and among others that he heals. And so uh, this kind of became their 
their central location for Jesus' ministry, especially the first half of the gospel before he makes his way to Jerusalem. And it says here that, that on the Sabbath day that Jesus entered into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, it seems kind of strange for Jesus to just show up in church one day and begin preaching like that, but it was actually kind of a, a normal practice in that day. Synagogues were, were gathering places for worship and prayer that were found throughout the known world. It's a practice that kind of developed over time as a result of the exile centuries before that. Right? God's people had been conquered. The temple was destroyed. They had been exiled to a foreign land. And so they no longer had that central location, that central place of worship that they could go to and gather for prayer and worship. And so communities began to spring up around, uh, around the empire where God's people had been relocated. They would gather together on the Sabbath to read from the law, to hear someone explain it, and of course for uh, prayer and worship. And so that practice continued on through Jesus' day and of course continues to the present day as well with the, that pattern of worship in synagogues. And so that normal pattern of worship would have went something like this. Near the end of their time together, someone would have taken a passage of Scripture, read from the law or the prophets, and then they would have taken the scroll and then sat down, and they would have waited for someone to stand up and help explain it or, or help the people that were gathered there understand it. In other words, there wasn't just one person that was assigned to be the preacher each week. Um, they would just wait for someone to stand up and take the initiative to share. Now imagine if that's how we did things here at First Church, right? We have Amy read the scripture for us, then we all sit down, and then I, and then we just wait for one of you to stand up and share something about the passage that was just read. I can imagine I'd have a lot of deer in headlights staring back at me, right, uh, if that was how we normally did things around here. But that was the normal practice, and that's actually what gave Jesus and then later Paul opportunities to stand and share about the kingdom of God, share the gospel, because that was, that was how things were normally done. And especially if you were a traveling teacher or a traveling uh, a scribe or something like that, um, you were often given that, that prerogative to stand up and share and, and teach. And so as Jesus traveled throughout Israel, as Paul traveled throughout the Roman Empire, it was in the synagogues that they often had that first opportunity to stand up and share the good news. Now, Mark doesn't share here exactly what he said. He just says that Jesus began to teach. It's likely the same message that he shared, the same uh, message in the synagogue that he began to preach back in chapter 1, verse 15, right? The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, right? That, that's what Mark tells us is, was the content of Jesus' early ministry and messages, the arrival of God's kingdom. But whatever Jesus, whatever Jesus may have said on that particular Sabbath, Mark doesn't record it, but he does share the people's response, and they are amazed, right? They're blown away by what Jesus said and this is a common response that we see throughout Jesus' ministry. Everywhere he taught, everywhere he went, people were amazed at his teaching and particularly at the authority with which he taught. In fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 through 29, we hear almost these exact words shared to describe the people's reaction to that sermon. Matthew 7:28-29 says, "When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one with, who had authority and not as their teachers of the law." 
And so over and over and over again, Jesus would travel, He would teach, He would preach, He would heal, He would perform miracles. And the response was almost always, they were amazed. They were blown away. They were, uh, and the word there has a sense of, 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 of their interest, their curiosity being piqued. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean a, a, any sort of commitment on their part. We'll get to that in just a moment. But they certainly were amazed and, and impressed with, with His teaching and with the authority that He had in delivering it. And authority is a very key word here in this passage. Authority is, is the right to exercise power or rule or control or jurisdiction over another. And the Gospels go to great lengths to demonstrate Jesus' authority as the Son of God, as the Messiah who has come to save us. And I want to I want to highlight several of those passages here for us. So we're going to take a look at a few of them, and and uh, you may not be able to flip with me and follow along with each one, but I do encourage you to listen and hear what these passages have to say. First, in John chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, Jesus tells the crowd that was gathered there. Uh, he says, being in verse 27, it says, They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak what the Father has taught me. He says, when, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. In other words, that's a reference to Jesus' crucifixion, right? His death. He was being lifted up on the cross and uh, and it was only it's only after that takes place, after the cross, after the resurrection, and particularly after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is given to God's people, did they truly get and understand what Jesus' ministry was all about? Even the disciples were kind of clueless at times about who Jesus was and and the things that he came to share. But after his death and resurrection, it would be clear that Jesus was not just a good person teaching some good ideas but he truly was the Son of God and the Messiah. So Jesus receives his authority, not in his own right, but, but from the Father. And, he, and the Gospel of Matthew makes that even more clear, a very familiar passage about the, with the great commandment. Jesus tells the disciples, this is, again, after his death and resurrection, uh, the very closing verses of Matthew chapter 28. I want to read verse 18 for you. Jesus tells them, uh, came back to them, came to them and said, all authority, not just a little bit, not just some authority, right? But all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Jesus receives his authority from the Father and it's, and it's all authority in heaven and on earth. That's pretty wide ranging, isn't it? It's not, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just um, a miracle worker, but, but all authority has been given to him. And that includes every so many different aspects of life, and we'll we'll open up that in just a moment as well. But Scripture also talks about the authority of His teaching over and over again too. So we see here a glimpse that that the people responded with amazement at His teaching and at His authority. And and this, of course, isn't the only time we saw already how they responded at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We also see at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus speaking about His authority to fulfill. And complete the law. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth dissolve, 
excuse me, disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus isn't doing something completely new here. He's not reversing directions from what God has already spoken to us in his word. He's come to fulfill it. He's come to make it, make it true, make it real. And we can see it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's come to be the embodiment of the law for us. And then back in the Gospel of Mark, if we want to, had any doubt about Jesus' authority, it was reaffirmed for us on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Mark chapter 9, as Jesus goes up onto the mountain and His glory is revealed to, to Peter and James and John, and, and He stands there and speaks with Moses and Elijah, a voice from heaven, just like at His baptism, speaks down. And Peter and James and John hear a voice in Mark 9, 7. It says, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Right? We always talk about wanting a, a voice from heaven to tell us what to do, right? Or to, to tell us what, what we should be, uh, to confirm our faith. Well, here Peter, James, and John had it. And the content of the message was, this is my son whom I love. Listen to what he has to say. Right? Don't ignore him. And so his authority to teach, his authority to, to point us to the good news of the gospel is, is given to him by the Father. But it's not just his teaching, it's not just the area of teaching, it's not just the area of explaining the Word of God that Jesus has authority. He has authority over many, uh, over creation and over all areas of life. And again, we see the gospel is going to great lengths to demonstrate that for us. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, we get the story of Jesus calming the storm with just a one word. Right? The, the disciples and Jesus are out in the middle of the lake on a boat and the storm comes and threatens to capsize the boat. And the disciples are terrified and Jesus is just asleep. Right? So the disciples go and they wake him up and they say, aren't you, aren't you concerned about us? And Jesus, with one word, just calms the storm. Jesus has authority over creation, over nature. We see in Mark chapter 1, just the verses that follow our passage today, and beginning in verse 29, that Jesus has authority over sickness. Throughout His ministry, over and over again, He healed people that were sick. People that had fevers, people that had leprosy, people that had physical disabilities. Jesus healed them over and over again to demonstrate His power over, over sickness as well. Jesus also has authority over evil. We see that, of course, demonstrated in this passage with the exorcism of this man in the synagogue, but we see it throughout his ministry as well. For example, in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, we see it demonstrated for us again. Jesus had sent out 72 of his disciples to to minister, to share the good news, to heal people in the surrounding towns. And, And when they returned, it says that the 72 came back with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Right. They were also able to do the things that Jesus had done because Jesus had given them authority to do so. And of course, Jesus even has authority over sin and death. In John chapter 11 uh, speaking to Mary and Martha before he, they, after their brother Lazarus had died, Jesus tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. And then he proceeds to prove it by raising Lazarus from the dead. 
Jesus has power over, over death. And that wasn't just for others, but also for himself. That even though he offered himself up on the cross, even though he died there for our sins, death could not hold him down. And that tomb on that first Easter morning was found empty. Death, Jesus had authority even over his own death. And also, which is also good news for us, Jesus has authority over sin. In the reading from Friday, uh, we read the first part of Luke, Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 2, which is the story of Jesus healing a paralyzed man. Jesus had been teaching and the place was so crowded that they couldn't even get him to Jesus to be healed. And so his friends literally dug a hole in the roof of this person's house and lowered their friend down on the mat. And you'd expect the first words for Jesus to say is, you know, get up, take your mat and go home like he had so many other times, like you read so many other stories about in the gospel. But he doesn't. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus and and then his people begin to, to think in their minds, who is this person who claims to have the authority to forgive sins? Jesus responds by saying, just to prove that I do have the authority to forgive sins, to prove that my forgiveness is real and legitimate. I will go on and heal this person. And so he does. He heals them. He gets up as on his mat and goes home. And it's, and it's the miracle that then proves Jesus' authority in the area of forgiving sins. So Jesus, the Gospels, as I said already, go to great lengths to demonstrate Jesus' authority, and especially in his teaching as well. But people didn't always respond to it uh, positively. We see here that the people were amazed, but we see other instances in the gospel that especially the the religious establishment were a little disturbed by Jesus' teaching. They question, they doubt his authority, especially as it comes to the area of forgiveness. And they they push back on Jesus' teaching. And again, back to our passage in Mark 1, we see that, that, that contrast beginning to develop here. The people heard Jesus teach and they, they recognized his teaching at authority and they said, unlike the teachers of the law. Right? One of the biggest things I believe that separated Jesus from the other teachers and the prophets that came before him was that the kingdom of God came with him and through him. Right? That's the message of Jesus. That was Jesus' first message was the kingdom is at hand, right? The kingdom is drawing near. One of the defining characteristics of Old Testament prophets was that one day, God will come and set things right. One day, sometime in the future, He will rescue us and save us. But Jesus isn't saying one day this will all happen. Jesus is saying it's happening now. Right? The kingdom of God is here and it's coming through me. Right? That's the message that Jesus is sharing. That day has now arrived. And that is certainly a different message, a contrasting message with what they were so used to hearing through the, through the teachers of the law and the prophets. We get an example of this in Luke chapter 4 in a very similar scene where Jesus goes into the synagogue and teaches. And here we actually get a little bit of the content. In Luke 4, 17 through 21, it says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So Jesus unrolling it, anoint, uh, excuse me, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's amazing, right? No one else could possibly say something like that. 
If I were to stand up here, read from the prophet Isaiah and tell you this scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing and sat down, you'd need to look for a new pastor, right? Because that's not something we as human beings can say about ourselves. That's something only the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity can say, right? Only the Messiah has the right, the authority to say something like, this is now being fulfilled in your hearing. We can point to Jesus, but certainly he's the only one that has the authority to say something like that. And that's why people were so amazed. No one else could be so bold as Jesus was in that moment. And then in verses 23 through 26, we get this, this scene almost seems like an interruption, right? You get this idea that as Jesus is teaching, as people are, are being blown away by, by what he has to say, all of a sudden he's interrupted, right? This man who, who Mark describes as being possessed by an impure spirit stands up and confronts Jesus, right? Impure spirit is just Mark's way of describing being possessed by a demon. And notice what this demon says through this person in verse 24. He knows exactly who Jesus is, that he is the Holy One of God. It's interesting that that the identification in this verse of Jesus for who he truly is, the Holy One of God, doesn't come from the people who hear his teaching. It comes from this impure spirit that is possessing this man. In James 2.19 it says, You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, this this impure spirit, he knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew Jesus' true identity, that he was the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Messiah, who has come to to break the bonds of the enemy and to set his people free. And that was the last thing that the demon wanted to hear. But the interesting thing is that this verse, this identification of Jesus, comes at the very center of this story. If you were to look at the, the pattern here, there's an interesting pattern. If you were in my uh, Revelation Sunday School class, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But it's, it's a common one found throughout Scripture. Not all the time, but it's, but it's there at different parts, and it's called a, a chiasm. It's, it's, it's patterning the, or structuring uh, a passage, a story, so that the most important part of it is at the center. And notice here in this passage, that's kind of what Mark is doing. In, in the first and last verse, we see Jesus and his disciples arriving in Capernaum. And in the last verse, the news about him is going out. So there's a, a parallel there in those verses. In verse 22 and in verse 27, the people are amazed and shocked at, at Jesus' teaching and his authority. So there's a parallel there. And then in the very center, in verse 23 and in verses 24 and 25, we see a man standing up being possessed by the demon and then Jesus then casting that demon out and healing this man. Again, a parallel. And so the one verse that's left at the very center is this statement of identification of Jesus, that he is the Holy One of God, the very center of this verse, or very center of this passage. And it's, and it's important for us to recognize that. Jesus is, has authority, his teaching has authority, because he truly is the Holy One of God. And this story is important. This, this story of Jesus casting out this demon is important because it underscores that authority. Exorcisms, healings, miracles, all of those things are done and they're recorded in the Gospels, not to be ends in and of themselves, but so that the truth about who Jesus is could be highlighted. So that it could point to the truth of Jesus' identity. And then in verses 27 and 28, we see that we can know that this miracle had an impact on the crowd because Mark tells us they go from simply being amazed to being so amazed, right? In our NIV translations that most of us, you know, we, we tend to preach from. 
That little word so, it's important, and we can gloss over that. It's actually, it's important because it actually is a completely different word that Mark uses in verse 22 and verse 27. The Greek behind that are two different words. In the first word, it's, it's this idea of being amazed and, and interested and, and, and uh, a common response to Jesus' teaching. But the word, the word in verse 27 is a little different. It's a, it's a much more intense form of the, ver, or, or of the word. It's more powerful. It's a more intense reaction. And it's used, uh, it's used throughout the Gospels throughout, uh, to, it's used in the Gospel of Mark to describe amazement, but also a mix of alarm and, and shock. It's the same word that is used in Mark chapter 16 when the women show up at the grave and find Jesus' tomb empty. They were amazed, but they were also pretty, pretty shocked at what was happening. Right? Just like the woman at the empty tomb, these people were now being confronted with something truly amazing. They didn't just hear a good teaching. They were confronted with the reality that Jesus truly is the Holy One of God. They were astonished. They were amazed. And, and they were forced to, to come to grips, come to terms with that reality. And that's what I want to spend the last few minutes of our time together focusing on, is, is how we are to respond to Jesus' authority. This story is, is here in the Gospel of Mark to demonstrate that Jesus truly is the Holy One of God, that, that His teaching and, and, and Jesus Himself has authority. And the question is, what are we going to do about it then? Right? How are we going to respond to the reality that Jesus is the Holy One of God? And there's three things I want to encourage us with this day. And the first is that, that Jesus' authority demands our allegiance. Right? Once we recognize that Jesus has authority, once we recognize that He truly is the Messiah and our Lord and Savior, we must make a choice. Are we going to submit to Him as Lord or not? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, talked about the three, common, the three logical reactions to being confronted with the truth of Jesus. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying this really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus truly is the Son of God, and so his authority then demands our allegiance. But it also demands our adoration. Jesus deserves our praise. If he truly is God, right? If he truly is our Savior and our Lord, then simply a simple amazement isn't enough, right? There's no real commitment to being amazed, right? We can see a beautiful picture. We can, we can go on a hike and find this beautiful panoramic view of, of creation and be, be amazed by it. We soak it in, but then we just move on. Praise, however, requires commitment. Adoration of God requires us to, to intentionally think about who God is, what He's done for us, and then, and then take the initiative to thank Him for it. And praise and adoration is not just what happens on Sunday mornings with music. It's a whole life attitude. 
It's a constant decision to honor God with your thoughts, with your words, and with your actions. Over and over again in the Psalms, we hear this response of of praise and adoration of God for what he's done. For example, Psalm 118, one says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. What an important thing for us to do is to to adore God for who he is, to sing his praises, and to make that a part of our regular lives. And finally, in addition to our allegiance and our adoration, his authority demands our active obedience. If Jesus is Lord, then he is Lord of every area of our lives. We don't want to just give him lip service and just go through the motions, but we truly must submit to his authority. And that involves knowing his word and being obedient to it. In John 14, 15, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. He, can't, he makes it simple for us, right? He makes it so simple that if we love him, if we truly believe that he is our Lord and Savior, if we have given him our allegiance, if we worship him uh, and, and adore him, then we must also be obedient to him. We must keep his commands. Not to earn our place in his family, not, um, not as, as payment for our sin and our rebellion, but out of a loving response to his grace that he has bestowed upon us. In closing, I want to read Micah, uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel 15, 22. This is the prophet Samuel uh, speaking to King Saul. He said, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. See, that's what God desires of us. In the Gospels, Jesus' authority is demonstrated over and over and over again. And that demands a response. And I want to encourage you today to respond to Jesus' authority by, by giving him your allegiance, by, by, by giving him your adoration, and giving him your active obedience. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that he truly is the Holy One of God who has come to save us and to redeem us. Lord, help us to respond to, to your authority, uh, not with lip service, but with true worship and praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing about the amazing grace that he has shown us. I encourage you to stand and join us as we close out our service by singing our praise song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
was able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.